Before listening, this episode has content warnings for mention of panic attacks and depression. Hello, hello, welcome to another episode of AIDS for Anxious, the podcast diary that tackles the taboo topic of anxiety through our friend, The Alphabet, with me, Alex Ang. So I just want to take a moment to thank everyone for supporting the show so far and also contributing to the Q&A for the first episode. If you don't know, on Spotify, you can find a Q&A on the episode if you scroll down. I think that's only unique to Spotify, but if it's not, be sure to check it out and answer the Q&A because it's a great way to build community and see other people's responses to the question but yeah thank you so much for the support it was really hard putting that first episode out there because you know i didn't know if this was the type of show that would resonate with people and if it was something that you know i wasn't in like an echo chamber and thinking that i was experiencing these things alone so it's been you know a nice sort of validation but also just community So technically, this is the first official episode since the last episode was more of an introduction and I did promise that we would hone in on a very specific anxiety of mine or my guest for all the rest of the episodes. So like I mentioned in that first episode, I have generalized anxiety disorder and disclaimer, I'm not an expert or a medical professional. These are just all from my own lived experiences, which can be super useful and helpful as resources. But rather than having anxiety about one specific thing, I in fact have many severe and ongoing anxieties that can feel debilitating when it comes to dealing with everyday life. And my anxiety is usually accompanied by physical symptoms, so I will be talking a lot about how my anxiety has manifested physically. So if you hear me talking about physical symptoms, just know that it is usually, you know, having to do with my anxiety unless stated otherwise. So we're just going to dive straight into it. We all know that A is for anxious, but what is B for? It's been really cool to see so many people trying to guess what this episode is going to be about, but you know, also share some of the things that they're anxious about as well. So today we're going to talk about books. This episode is so close to my heart. I even debated if I wanted to do an episode about books because if you didn't know, my entire life basically revolves around reading books. I am a bookstagrammer slash book content creator and so it's a huge part of my creative career and platform on social media. Books have always just been a part of kind of my life on social media, but also part of my personal life, you know, even as a child. I was always that one kid that, you know, brought their book with them to the dinner table and wouldn't put it away even though my parents told me to. So as you can imagine, I'm a little nervous to talk about it today because I'm still a part of the book community and it's hard to say anything negative about it, but I think in general there are always, you know, pros and cons to being a part of an online community and part of that affected my relationship with how I see books. I'm also partly nervous because I grew up being so ashamed of sharing my anxieties that I'm afraid that people are going to be like, books? Like, why are you anxious about books? And I think that's partly why I started this podcast, you know, was to talk about all of these irrational anxieties that come from having a generalized anxiety disorder, anxieties that feel so debilitating and so real and have a real impact on your daily life and can make it hard for you to do the things you love, like reading books. This episode is also going to highlight one of the most important and intriguing nuances of anxiety and how something you enjoy can also make you anxious, depending on the situation. I think 
what I really want to touch on with this episode is that our anxieties and mental health evolve with time. You know, something that you grow up and are anxious with as a kid might not be the same when you're older. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. And I feel like that will help in our healing as well. But we'll talk about all of that when it comes. So from the get-go, I think most of my anxiety, you know, about books comes from centering my entire platform around it. I think inevitably, if you make something a part of your identity, you're going to be very protective of it. And I guess one of my biggest anxieties, you know, the questions that I really ask myself is, what happens if I don't like books anymore? And I feel like that's something that I used to have really bad anxiety about. Like I would have nightmares about what happens if I don't like reading. For some context, I grew up, you know, going in and out of hobbies. I would pick up something one day and then totally discard it the next. You know, I tried literally every sport and all the instruments and that just came a part of me wanting to try things as a child. But I realized that none of the things that I did, I could ever stick to. And I think that's connected to my anxiety about books is I like talking about books and I sort of made it my identity as a bookstagrammer and content creator but what happens if one day I don't like reading books anymore and that was something that just like plagued my mind on a daily basis you know speaking of books one book that I really want to highlight is a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear and I think that really put into perspective this identity-based approach you know in Atomic Habits it talks about identity in creating habits but I think just in general that book highlights how identity is you know the strongest form of intrinsic motivation for us to take action and is related to a lot of our outcomes In that book, it kind of stated how, you know, it's the best kind of intrinsic motivation because we're also prideful of our identities. You know, we spend so much time curating and crafting our identities and making sure that like we have our niches and whatever. So I think whenever it comes to identity, I always will have anxieties around identity. And I think that just happened to, you know, bring in books too, because I was this book content creator. And I think because I have created this identity of having an online persona as a reader, It can be really stressful if I strayed anywhere outside that line of being what the internet deemed as a reader. So, for example, I think, you know, any creator in a community has an idea of what makes a good creator. And I think in the book community, because our line of work and because what we talked about revolved around books, it was it almost felt like there was like a standard or there was a type of reader you needed to be in order to fit in with the community and to be successful. And I think in the book community, there can can be a lot of gatekeeping over you know what being a good reader looks like I think especially for new creators who haven't really found their own personal voice you kind of just want to fit the mold of the other creators so depending on who you talk to a lot of people will be like oh you're a good reader if you read a lot of books every month or that your end of the year wrap-up has over 100 books or some people will say it's based on what you read it really depends on who you talk to but I think it's super important this idea of identity is different for everyone in the community and I think it's something that I didn't inherently know and believe in when I first joined the book community. So that caused me through my many years in the book community to always feel like I was never reading enough or I wasn't reading fast enough compared to all the other creators online. You know, being a creator in a community means engaging with others in that same community. So it was always kind of a struggle not to compare myself to others, even though everyone says not to compare yourself because I was just consuming so much book content on the daily. 
And that leads into a very interesting segue into how books affected my mental health physically or how it gave me anxiety in a more physical sense because I think we kind of touched upon how, you know, books made me anxious mentally in this more abstract sense of identity. But one thing that I didn't really acknowledge at the time was just how books contributed to my anxiety of clutter. So early in my bookstagram days, I was convinced that I needed the most perfect cookie cutter looking bookshelves with rows and rows of books. And I think that's just by virtue of the media that I consumed. There is even a hashtag on Instagram called hashtag selfie. And it's basically where people just show off their massive book collections. I mean, I'm pretty guilty of doing this as well because, you know, back in the day I was posting a bunch of shelfies and, you know, like cleaning my bookshelf just for the purpose of posting it online. Also, another piece of content that was hugely popular when I was around in the book community when I first started was bookshelf tours. And I'm talking about specific content that feeds into this very like capitalistic, like conspicuous consumption of books. But specifically, bookshelf tours were some of the most most viewed book videos on BookTube. BookTube is basically just the book community on YouTube and these videos showed you know like massive libraries filled with books like literally every single part of the shelf had a book in it and there were like no white you know blank spaces there was like basically no more room to have books and I think just watching so much of that content and one being really amused and sort of jealous of people's book shelves and their book collections and me thinking that I needed to have that exact same thing in order to be successful on YouTube because these videos were so popular you know like when I think when we look at content creation we you know gauge the how successful something was you know in terms of views and likes and shares and I think because these videos were getting so many views I thought that in order to get views and you know succeed as a creator I needed to have as many books as them. I can clearly remember the day I begged my parents to go to Ikea so I could buy one of those bookcases that everyone had. Like my parents were not having it, but I was just like begging. I was like, please, I need these bookshelves. What were they called again? Oh my God. They were called Billy bookcases. Yeah. Billy bookcases on Ikea were so popular. Everyone and their dogs had a Billy bookcase on Instagram and it was always just like a really nice starter bookshelf that people just had like a whole wall of books for. So yeah, I begged my parents to bring me to Ikea to buy it for me. And I remember at the time, like I didn't have much money and I was in like middle school and I was just saving all of my Christmas and birthday money in order to, you know, for these shelves. I also realized early on that I am just not an audiobook person. There's nothing wrong with audiobooks, but personally, I cannot focus when I listen to audiobooks. And that's just been always a thing that, you know, has happened is I have so many intrusive thoughts that I can barely listen to like music. And reading ebooks was also not really an option because of the strain that they, you know, put on my eyes. So basically, all we have left were basically like, you know, physical copies of books, you know, hard covers. And again, I was convinced that I needed to buy these hardcovers because I needed to add them to my collection and even though I was using the, li the library I couldn't add them to my collection because they belong to the library. 
So just imagine a 16 to 18 year old Alex spending like every last Chipotle paycheck buying new release hardcovers and young adult book series. Like when I look back at that time in my life, I was like, damn, you really like could have like put yourself through college with the money you spent on books. Not seriously, but I'm saying books were expensive and I didn't realize the amount that I had, you know, utilized for books because I just thought they were such an important part of my life. And I was like, you know what? it's good that I'm putting these expenses towards books. Now, I say all of that not to brag, but to provide context for the amount that I was, you know, conspicuously consuming and just the amount of books that were in my physical space. Because first of all, I wasn't buying books because I necessarily wanted them, but all to fit this ideal standard of what an internet book lover looked like on social media. And I think I was consuming a lot of books as well that I didn't even personally enjoy or thought I would enjoy. I just bought them because they had pretty covers or because everyone else in social media was talking about them. And if I wanted to fit in and do well on social media, I would have to get that book and post on social media because I thought that would give me more views. I started noticing that in college, when I finally moved away from home, and for context, I have shared a room with my twin sister for, you you know the majority of my life so college was the first time I actually had my own space and was able to start from scratch like you know just a bed and you know classic dorm room furniture but then just like add in all the stuff that I wanted to myself and I think that's when I started developing an adversity to clutter and realizing that like just because I grew up in a space that was cluttered and it's almost like I couldn't I could I had no choice because I was sharing with my sister. I had to like let her do her thing. But in my own space, I had totally different values of what my space, you know, wanted to look like and how it was going to be conducive to my mental health. So I started having anxiety attacks when my dorm or apartment would get really messy. And this mostly included books because I, at that point, was buying so many books and receiving books that I didn't even have room in my dorm bookshelf or my apartment bookshelf. I was basically just stacking books anywhere in my room, leaving packages from publishers unopened in my room all over the floor. You know, when you get a package from a publisher with a book, usually it comes with like a paper, you know, talking about the book and, you know, describing the promotional materials. And those were like strewn all over my room. And it sometimes drove me to the point of, you know, having anxiety attacks because I didn't know what to do with so much. And now we get into my unhauling phase. I had a pretty big unhauling phase where I was just trying to get rid of the books. You know, I started realizing that clutter was making me anxious and it was not contributing to uh, good mental health. And so what was the solution? To get rid of the books. So I just wanted them out of sight, out of mind. I didn't really care if I was, you know, selling them and getting money from them because selling was a whole other sort of like anxiety. Like I had to deal with, you know, getting payment and shipping books out and you know talking to people so I was like okay what I'm just gonna do is I'm just gonna donate these books and get them off my hands so for a time I was donating almost 20 books a month and you know I've made YouTube videos of unhauling over 10 bags of books because it, it just got to a point where it's too much and I really needed to let go of my some of my collection because a lot of them were books that I haven't read and they were just sitting on my shelf like making me feel so guilty for having purchased it and never reading it. 
I think that was definitely, you know, when I look back at it, a pretty dark time in my life because when you cycle through so many things so often and so frequently, it's you sort of become like numb to it. Like I think I was just unhauling so many books, but then also gaining so many books when I was buying more and receiving books from publishers. Like it sort of got to a point where it was I didn't even know what books I was having and I didn't even know like what I was consuming, what books to read. I would get into reading slumps with which basically means that you like don't read for a long period of time and I was getting into these reading slumps because I was just so overwhelmed with like the choices that I had and also not feeling the motivation to read because I was thinking about books every other time other than reading. Okay, so what did I do with this anxiety? Well, I sort of had to do a little bit of restructuring in my life. You know, I took a deep down look at my life and my relationship with books and I was like, okay, like I love books and I want them to be a part of my life forever. So how can I create a healthier and more sustainable relationship with it? So I think obviously I had to do a massive unhauling to just get rid of some of my collection. So that's kind of what I did, but I kind of framed it as the unhaul of all unhauls like this would be the last unhaul for a while just to get rid of so many books that I had not read that I think would go to you know better homes so I have been donating most of my books and it's mostly the ones I won't read or the ones that I didn't like to libraries or schools. One thing that I've been doing a lot is, you know, donating them to little free libraries. I come from an area that just has so many little free libraries and I really like that circular system of being able to donate a book, but also like if you want a book, you can take one from a little free library of no cost. All you need to do is, you know, give one away. Also, due to the nature of, you know, attending school online for a while and, you know, working remote, so I've been spending a lot of time on my computer, I started realizing that I was finally able to read ebooks. You know, they weren't straining so much on my eyes just because I was already looking at so many screens. So I started reading, you know, on my Kindle again, and that has made me super happy. You know, I got an online library card. I downloaded this app called Libby, which is an online library app, and it's just been so cool and so healthy for me I think to you know I call it taste testing books and I like you know borrowing books from the library first on my kindle or my you know e-reader just my ipad and then if I really enjoyed that book you know if it holds sentimental value or if it's a book that I just really enjoyed then I can take the extra step to purchase the book in physical copy and hardcover and add it to my collection so therefore I'm cutting down on the clutter and I think when we talk about like digital clutter like obviously there are conversations there but I feel like for my digital devices and everything like I feel like it's just like a massive place where I keep everything so it doesn't just feel as physical as it was if you had physical clutter. And as soon as I started implementing these practices, I realized just how much clutter was affecting my mental health. You know, I didn't realize it before, but I think with a lot of things when it comes to anxiety is some of the things that are, you know, the worst for our anxiety are things you can't control. But I think I realized that, you know, clutter and my book buying, my book consumption was something that I could control. So I really wanted to get, you know, a grasp on it and implement these practices so that I could have, you know, a better mental health in general. Okay, so we've roasted books enough for making me anxious, but I want to circle back to, you know, the main idea of this episode, like I mentioned in the beginning, which was to talk about the nuance of anxiety evolving over time. And so for most of my life, I would say through middle school to like early college, mid-college career, 
I was anxious about books. Like every time someone said the B word, I was just like so anxious about it because, you know, I would think about how it was connected to social media and I would think about all the books in my room that I have left unread. Like books were harrowing to me. Like I would not want to talk about it. And especially when people ask what my favorite book is, like I can't tell you what my favorite book is. That question always makes me anxious because I'm like, I just have to choose one. But when we talk about anxiety evolving over time, I think especially if you work on something and you're working on healing over a certain anxiety, it is inevitably going to get better and you are going to see how it has changed in the progression of your life. So it's actually funny because the first time I ever saw my mental illness represented in a piece of media was in a book called The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan. And I talk about this book a lot because I think it's important that, you know, I was consuming a lot of media, but I think something that is important, especially in cultural competency, is I didn't see a lot of TV shows and movies and, again, books that, you know, had Asian American characters that were experiencing the same symptoms as I was or even just, you know, talk about mental health in general, that mental health exists in our communities. So it was in this book that I learned the actual vocabulary words to describe what I was feeling and you know in this book I owe most of my healing and mental health awareness to. So while in many ways books have made me anxious they have also been a huge part of my healing. So we're going on to the positives of it now. You know how I saved my relationship with books and they no longer make me anxious but they are a huge part of my story when I talk about you know living with generalized anxiety disorder or how at one time it helped me get out of my depression was because I was reading books. I think books have contributed to, you know, mental health in two ways um, or in my healing in two ways. And I think first is, you know, providing the representation for me to feel less alone in this world and for me to also take action. Because I think after as soon as I read that book, The Astonishing Color of After, I felt so inspired to read more books like that. Like I was chasing the feeling of reading my mental health described on the page and I was looking for more books like that. And they do exist. I think it's important to acknowledge that like while it is very few and far in between, not as much as books you would see about, you know, like vampires and unicorns, they do exist out there. Like good mental health representation in books exists in this world. And on the other hand, other than a sense of representation and validation, they have also just been a point of entertainment from me. You know, I think in my darkest times when I was feeling super anxious about something that was, wasn't related to books, you know, like, for example, I think my flight anxiety is something that I'm still working on and I do have a pretty severe anxiety over that. But when I'm anxious on the plane, I always have to have a book with me. That's like number one non-negotiable things that I'm packing with me is a book. I If I don't have a book, I will literally buy one at the airport in order to have one on the plane because when I read on the plane, it brings me a sense of calmness. It gives me something that I'm familiar with. You know, I think a lot of why I'm anxious about, you know, flying is because I'm not very familiar with it. I don't know much of the science behind it. I haven't really flown much in my life, but I think when I'm able to read, I am able to go back to my roots and, you know, pick up something that feels and like physically and mentally familiar to me. And that makes me less anxious in the moment. 
And okay, I'm not going to do an episode about books and not leave you with a list of great book recommendations. So if you are interested in reading, you know, books with great mental health representation, I will leave some in the show notes only if you're interested. And also you can always follow me on Instagram at Alexandria Ang to, you know, see the updates and posts because I do post a lot of book recommendations and book content on my own personal social media. Since I have become a mental health advocate, I also think that books play a huge role in that as well. You know, not only in my own healing, but in the way that I advocate for mental health. So I'm a huge proponent of storytelling and mental health awareness and the special role that books play in the representation of youth and young adult mental health. Storytelling for me in any sort of aspect, not just books, I do want to emphasize that like all sorts of media and storytelling, whether that's oral, through art, you know, through dance. I think any type of storytelling is so powerful when it comes to mental health awareness because it's through lived experiences that we learn the most, that we feel most connected to people, that we can build a community for mental health and also make people feel less alone in this world. And I always like to say that my mental health advocacy is at the intersection of, you know, literature and storytelling because I think one of the main ways of storytelling that gets overlooked is, you know, on the page, you know, written literature. And I feel like the power in mental health awareness in books is so powerful. I think especially in the young adult genre or the young adult demographic, I mean. So a lot of young adult books are, you know, being consumed by very impressionable youth, by a lot of younger people who are looking for that escape. You know, a lot of people read books to escape the world that they're in now. But I think it's important that when there is mental health awareness and mental health representation or any type of diverse representation in books, it again shows the reader that they're not alone, but it also gives them a wider and broader perspective to understand other cultures, experiences and backgrounds to just create empathy and I think that's such a beautiful power that books have that I've been trying to like capitalize on when I am talking about mental health advocacy because you know people often overlook that and again when people ask me about books with mental health representation they don't normally have any good books to go off of and I always am so passionate about that because I'm like yes I have so many reps like so many good book recommendations like based on whatever you're looking for like anxiety representation and representation of very specific diagnoses like there are books that cover those topics if you know where to look I also just think it's so special to flip through the pages of a book and see yourself reflected in those pages. I think the same goes for media and TV shows too. Like it's just so special to see like, I don't know, like a superhero that looks like you because it really, you know, representation is so important and I feel like mental health representation, this is why I'm such a huge proponent of cultural competency and diverse representation is because, you know, people, it's not a like one size fits all. People need to see them themselves you know down to very specific things and if that's possible then we can do a lot to change the conversation on mental health Anyways, again, I want to stress that your relationship with anxiety will change as you experience and learn more about the world. I think the biggest, you know, obstacle that I had to overcome with my mental health and anxiety in particular was the fact and point that, 
you know, your mental health is not permanent. It is always changing. It is always evolving and growing and learning and healing. And everyone is on their own path. That's something that I wish my younger self knew is that everyone is on their own path. And just because someone is, you know, healed or healing faster than you doesn't mean that you're stuck in the current situation that you are in. You know, just because you're anxious about something now doesn't mean life will always be that way. And I think a great example, going back to that flying anxiety, you know, I sometimes beat myself up a lot about that because I will have like anxiety attacks at the airport or even on the plane itself to the point where I don't think I should even be flying anymore. Like I am always beating myself up about that because I'm like, how will I be able to fly in the future when I want to travel the world? You know, that's one of my big aspirations is to see different parts of the world. And I'm like, how can I even do that if I can't even fly? Like, correctly or you know just fly without having an anxiety attack because I really do not like having them at the airport in front of like everyone especially if I'm not flying with someone but I realized that the more that I confront my anxieties and educate myself you know even talking on this podcast is slowly surely making me more confident about confronting those anxieties and yes taking more flights and you know gaining that practice becoming more familiar with what that looks like I think about how one day you know it'll be something that I'm not anxious about anymore or even less so you know I think even now I've already come so far than when I first started flying because you know when I moved away for college and I went out of state that was my first time taking a flight by myself and I could not handle that first one but now as someone who graduated college and I'm definitely more practiced and I have more of that experience I have been trying to focus on the positives of it and how you know Being so down in the dumps about my anxiety is not going to help me heal. And it's really about confronting those anxieties and talking about it. And, you know, even acknowledging that, yes, I'm anxious about this, but that doesn't mean that I am less of a person or that I am just not equipped to do things in the world. So it is true that books used to make me anxious, you know, to the point where I couldn't read one for months and to the point where it affected the content I was creating. I didn't feel, you know, energized to create content anymore. I almost, for a certain point of time, I started hating books. I started, you know, resenting them because I didn't want to talk about them all the time. I didn't want them to be connected to my identity. And I thought I wasn't good enough to be like a book lover. I thought I wasn't reading fast enough or reading enough. So... That was something that I had to internalize, but I was able to craft, you know, a healthy relationship with them, but also make them a huge part of my healing process and mental health advocacy. You know, I think what really pushed me to make the changes in this relationship was just me understanding that I knew I wanted to have books in my life forever. I knew that they were a source of anxiety for me, but I wanted to work on that. Like I made an effort and an intention to overcome my anxiety for books. So I think that's when I knew that, you know, I was going to be able to navigate through this. So let's slowly heal together one letter at a time. Look out for the next episode for the letter C with a very special guest. Can you guess what C is for? My goal is to have guests on every episode. I wasn't able to secure a guest for this episode and I did want this to be more of a personal episode, but rest assured that there will be some really amazing guests joining me on the rest of the episodes for some really great conversations about anxiety and mental health. And not only will it be talking about anxieties but also about how we've overcome them and even if we haven't overcome them talking about ways we can overcome them 
Additionally, if you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, a list of resources can be found in the show notes and in the description of every episode. Thanks for listening, and music was produced and created by Brandon Hill. His social media will also be listed in the show notes.